And when I say we're going to define that, that's the dif- de- the dictionary definition of social justice. That was so, a minefield right there. That was that was good. I mean, you're bringing out your uh, your student ministry days there. You know that the ninth grader in the room was chuckling right there. That's the yeah, di- I, diction defi- the diction <laughs> definary and the di- <laughs> he said dick. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school because my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad, but damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Hey, everyone, welcome to another week of the Tension Podcast, where a show that acknowledges that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and then we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Uh, well, welcome home. For those of you watching on, on YouTube, I think I'm going to pull out a new mug from a church that's either defunct or no longer. Of course, one, it's a church mug. This is a church mug, and this church uh, no longer exists. Actually, they sold to another bigger church, which is a weird thing in churches, which I think is going to be much more prevalent going forward. But that's a podcast for a new day, because today we're talking about uh, Ron DeSantis's favorite topic, not Disney. Woke. Wokeness. And two white guys trying to define what that is. It's going to be I, it's going to be a day. But hey, I know you're not going to do it. That, I know you're not going to do it, but it'd be great if we just like how many times can we hear woke mind virus? in a montage from a number of different commentators. Woke, 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 woke mind virus, woke mind virus, woke mind virus, and just keep going. Welcome home. Before we get into that, I do want to remind you that this season, uh, the in October, we're going to be doing a Q&A mailbag that's kind of based on the other stuff we've been talking about this season. This season, there's an overarching theme of the culture war that we're living in. So if you have any questions that you want to ask for that mailbag episode, that's going to release on Monday, October the 23rd. Uh, We need to have your questions into us by Thursday, October 19th, because we're going to record that on the 20th um, so we can release it on the 23rd. You can send those questions to hello at tensionpodcast.com or to either one of us on social. Eric is at ericw712 on Instagram, and I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on there as well. So without well, with that out of the way, yep. let's talk wokeness, Eric. Let's talk about wokeness. You know, I think that might be the first question we get from the mailbag is, can you define woke? Because I don't know that I, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that anybody can. And, you know, you go back in the archives, people, and just listen to other episodes where we've talked about some of these words that have lost their meaning. But this is, this is one that is, it's so weird. And I hope in like two or three decades, when we look back on the Google search list that, woke is going to peak and then slow you know just die down in the next year or two because i'm quite frankly just i'm tired of hearing the word and anymore when i hear it i just want to like i don't know that me uh un unbiblical thoughts come to my mind yeah this one was a hard one to write because i wanted to get on some soapboxes and i'm trying to be fair to uh actually living in the tension and we'll get into some of those things here in a little bit but uh, it w- it was more difficult to stay fair and balanced, uh-huh. like Fox News in the '90s claimed to be, yeah, right. <laughs> on this one, given the situation and just given some personal, uh, what do I want to say here? Personal experience, life lived experience currently. Uh-huh. So um, I'm going to hold back for a little bit, and then maybe by the end I will just let it all go. But this sure. week we are talking about woke Christianity, social justice warriors. And the idea that we just need to preach the gospel. Let's go. Uh, if you're listening to this show, my assumption is that you are more aware of systemic issues in our culture. Uh, so this idea isn't something that's new to you. We don't have to convince you that those issues do exist. If you need convincing that they exist, let's have that conversation somewhere else. But for today's episode, we're just going to assume that you agree that there are systemic issues in our culture. Yep. The general idea of today though, is that there's a tension going on with Christianity within it between social justice and the gospel. And there are two sides of this, just like there are uh, for most of these tensions. And we're going to talk about the extreme. So remember, 
these are the extremes. This is not everyone. If this is not you, we are not blaming you or calling you anything. These are the extremes in the culture. Yes. Okay. Disclaimers out of the way. On the one side, you have the fundamentalist evangelical side. This is what so many of us grew up in. Uh, Eric, I'm going to say a phrase and you tell me if you've heard someone in a church circle say this. Mm -hmm. We don't need social justice. Uh, We just need biblical justice. Yeah, it's yes. Or it's uh, it's the we just need Jesus. All we need is Jesus, man. Yeah, I know. It's like you, you don't think that way in any. Well, some people do. But like the people that I hear it from most, I'm like, oh, when you get a headache, you go, well, I don't need, I don't need a Tylenol. I just need Jesus. No, it's like when you, when you're struggling to pay your bills, you're not like, oh, well, I don't need to move around some funds and finances. I just need Jesus. No, when there's a problem, you need to solve, when there's an earthly problem, you need to solve it through a biblical lens with an earthly solution. Yes. And this mindset, this phrase is a reaction to what this side of the aisle would call social justice warriors. And we're going to define social justice warriors as people who are fighting for the equal distribution of wealth, opportunity, and privilege in our society. And when I say we're going to define that, that's the dif- de- the dictionary definition of social justice. That was so, a minefield right there. That was that was good. I mean, you're bringing out your, uh, your student ministry days there. You know that the ninth grader in the room was chuckling right there. That's the yeah, di- I... the definition <laughs> the di- <laughs> he said dick <laughs> you know it you know so, uh, I wondered perked... if you were gonna let me get past nope, it or if uh-uh. you were gonna call me on it someone's a perked but up I right appreciate there. you calling on someone perked up right there and heard you say it, it went, someone's driving down the road they're went, drinking coffee on a Monday dick. morning Welcome to Unlearning Youth Group for the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned. Right, yeah. There you go. We changed the name and the, uh, the, the art to be more more mature, Jonathan. Come on. <sighs> but the, the people on this side of the argument, they don't acknowledge that there is any type of systemic oppression or injustice. Um, if someone labels everything they don't like as woke, they probably fall into this category. And there's another version of this, too, that you may have heard. That's the one that says, we just need to preach the gospel. Uh, yes. The first group, they, they fall into this group as well. But these are the Christians that think any type of application of the gospel to the social structures around us is a distortion of biblical truth. Just preach the gospel to them means only teaching the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and that that forgives us of our sins and allows us to go to heaven. To to the people in this group, I don't know if they would say it in this way, but the sole purpose of the life, death, and ministry of Jesus is to make a way to heaven. And that's it. And anything outside of that is adding things to the gospel. Now, if we take a look at this socially too, you know, this is what I was thinking about. Like we've got the church side from, from within the church. They're using those lines. We don't need social justice. We need biblical justice. We just need to preach the gospel. And, you know, we already talked about it fundamentalist evangelical, but it's really kind of more of like in the conservative side, whether you want to call it politically or morally or, you know, whatever. And I think we've, we've chatted about this before too, but like the, the basic understanding of a conservative is they want to conserve something they want they want to protect what is what is already established and are kind of averse to change and it's a very easy position to be in um, as a conservative when you are on the benefiting side of whatever society is so anytime there's like a progressive change towards something else it causes some pushback with conservatives. And so that's why you'll hear, if this is maybe outside of the church, you'll hear people talk about needing to go back to the good old days or a simpler time or, you know, wanting to have that like small town experience, you know, that sort of thing where they want to go back to something or they want to keep something or they, they, they don't want something to change or they're upset about how something has changed, which is why you hear, politicians and these, you know, blowhard conservative commentators 
not only talking about things that are woke in a derogatory term, but talking about like a woke mind virus. This progressive thought has taken over, you know, and now it's pushing us into a place that we don't want to go. And so those are some things to, to think about when you hear it, when you hear from a biblical context or from a church context, we don't need social justice. We need biblical justice, right? We don't need it. We don't need to change all these things. We got the Bible, right? We just need to preach the gospel. We don't need to worry about that. It's all right here in the good book, the, the good book of instructions. Or if they say like, we just need to go back to the good old days or things aren't the way that they used to be, or they're longing for something that they feel has been taken or is changing on them. Yep. And our natural, you and I, our natural bent, because this is where we come from, could be to stay on this side of the tension and to rail against that for the entire conversation today. Uh, I think I think it's important for both of us to acknowledge that, but we do need to talk about the other side of the tension as well. And that side of the tension has people who have swung all the way to the other side. And on this side, the entire point of the gospel is to dismantle the hurt or dismantle systems that hurt or marginalize others. And this extreme, and I'm going to emphasize extreme here because we're mm -hmm. taking it all the way to the other side. We just talked about the extreme of one side. We're going all the way to the other side has led to ignoring anything that traditional orthodoxy or church history would have considered sinful or against the teachings of Jesus or of the teachings of the Bible in general. The goal on this side is to create a society where everyone is valued the same, treated the same, and given the same opportunities. And while that sounds like a holy idea, and I would agree with that in principle, what happens on the extreme, I hate to say left, but if we're going left and right here, the extreme left of Christianity is that this side takes it too far and is so open-minded that they don't stick to any convictions from the Bible especially on things that they don't like. Yep. Yeah. And as we talk about, like, again, with that extreme side is on both of these sides, it's what are, uh, it's almost like when push comes to shove, what are you, what do you value more? And so on this side, it's like when in doubt or if push comes to shove and you'll hear this from church people, right? I just want to love like Jesus. So it's not, um, it's not we just need Jesus or we need to preach the gospel or we need biblical justice. It's I'm just going to love like Jesus. And in fact, I mean, you even kind of hear it from um, uh, it's a famous Charles Stanley quote, right? It's like, I'm just going to love, love others and let God sort out the rest. You know, that sort of deal. Like I, I'm, I'm going to hope that that God's going to figure it all out as long as I'm loving someone else. But I think, you know, again, if we're being intellectually honest here that definition of love is, um, you know, maybe I would say a narrow definition of love, whereas it looks like it's wide open and you're like, we're going to love and accept anybody. But in reality, it's love in the way that, um, I'm going to try to see how I can dance around this one without offending anybody. I personally know, uh, not that I'm really afraid of that usually, but like, let's think parenting styles. If you're in, you know, you think about parenting styles or like when you, when, when the kids go to the grandparents house, there are some things that the grandparents do to love your kids in a way that you're like, that's not really loving. Okay. I don't, I don't think that that's very loving because like, if they're going to stay up past their bedtime, they're going to have too much sugar. Oh, you're going to be pumping them full of some caffeine that they never, ever have or foods that they don't normally eat. Great. You know, it's not loving about that. The fact that I got to deal with them later on. You know, no rules, no structure, <laughs> no whatever is not loving. But to them, they're like, oh, no, oh, yeah, have another sleeve of Thin Mints. You it's know, what they a, wanted. Have another Oreo. Oh, you know, I couldn't say no, right? So I, I'm, I'm kind of lampooning that idea. But you see, like, we would have two different definitions of love when it came to that. If, you know, and, and it's maybe, a love that becomes enabling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe you're a parent on the other side and you're like, no, I I think that's loving 100%. But what I don't think is loving is having too much structure or routine or, you know, anything else like that. So there's this narrow view of love that doesn't allow for the definition of like, it is very loving to provide someone else with, uh, with structure and with boundaries. I mean, boundaries are loving, you know what I mean? Those are some things that like that side uh, may or may not, acknowledge those 
those types of things when it comes to how we interact with one another. It's like, is it is a is a lawless, ruleless society where everybody does their own thing? Is that truly the definition of loving? It's like it's a definition, but I think it's a very narrow definition. And just like the fundamentalists like to cherry pick verses to kind of proof text their preferred way of life. Uh, and then they leave out the verses that kind of make them live in the tension. This side also cherry picks verses to proof text their preferred way of living while ignoring ones that cause the tension as well. So again, we're on the extremes here. So you all listening to this know the, the gradients in the middle and how you get from one end to the other. I'm going to, we're going to assume you're smart enough to connect the dots and see where, where these things flow on the pendulum back and forth. Well, hold on. But for our show, what we like to do before you get into that, let me, let me just go for it. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's talk about from the benefit of the doubt, because we've talked about like what the negative side is on each side. And before we get into that tension, um, let me just say this, that if I'm giving the, uh, the progressive side or the, you know, we we need to love like Jesus, not justice like Jesus. You know, they don't want Jesus with the whip and the table and the, the, you know, they don't want the Jesus that says go and sin no more. They want the Jesus to say, you know, who here condemns you, you, no one, and neither do I. That group, what it feels like is it feels like a collective, like trauma response. We've, we've experienced the pain and hurt and suffering of a religious system that valued the organization over the person. And now and behavior modification. Behavior modification, yeah. So we are going to start rejecting things that feel oppressive and systemic, and we are going to latch on to things that feel personal. And it's like, I think that that's great. That is a that is a valuable piece of of what we would call healthy deconstruction. But it's almost like dumping out every toy in the bin and never putting it back. Or you know, my wife, as we record this, my wife and I are in the process of like organizing all of our books in our house, which she's an English teacher. Um, I'm a writer by trade. So it's like, we've got a ton of books and it's like, if we just pull them all off the shelf and leave them there, that's not organizing. And that's what it feels like at times. It's like, we haven't done the work. They're the progressive side as a whole. Um, if they don't move on from, Hey, we've just pulled it all off the shelf and they haven't put it back in a way that makes sense for, you know, for people to move forward, then it's, it's not gonna work. On the other side, that fundamentalist conservative evangelical side, there is a, there's a hard response. And we, you know, we've talked about this in our behavior modification episodes and other things like that, where it's like, yes, it is valuable to say, we want to prevent people from doing things that are going to get hurt. We want to put a sign up. This is caution. This thing is hot. Don't touch it. You know, warning poisonous. We want to try and prevent people from making mistakes that are going to ruin their lives. But at some point, the rules and the systems become either a tool for bad actors to use to abuse others, or they, they literally become more important than the people around them. And so I think that's like, if I'm being honest, looking at the, the background of people, because I, I, you know, I don't think anybody's intentionally coming into this conversation going like, we need biblical justice, which means I don't care about people or we need to preach the gospel, which means I don't give a crap about people. And on the other side, people aren't going, you know, we need to try and love like Jesus, which means I don't care about any of Jesus's, you know, boundaries, or I don't care about sin. I don't think they're entering with that conversation. I think it's, they're willing to sacrifice that end of the, of the argument to preserve the things that they value. And it's funny you went there because where I was about to go is that when we talk about how we live in the tension, the first thing that I think we have to do is make those acknowledgements that you're making mm -hmm. that these two extremes have pieces in them that are true. Yep. Like that's where we have to, to start. If we cannot take a step back and look at this and say, you know what? I may not personally like it. I may not personally be comfortable with it, but each side of these extremes have some pieces in them that are true, then we're not being intellectually honest. We're not being spiritually honest because the fundamentalist side, they cling to the truth of scripture in ways that make me uncomfortable and challenge things that I naturally want to do. That makes me uncomfortable, but it 
it really falls in line with what Jesus calls us to sometimes their focus on live on avoiding sin and living the way Jesus calls us to is extreme in some areas. Yes, but they're right in teaching to abstain or to avoid things that Jesus sees as wrong that my body and my not my naturally want to do. Mm-hmm. Like that is a correct thing that they do. Do they take it too far? Yeah, but there's a piece of it that is true. If we flip to the other side, the progressive side acknowledges that we have broken systems that I have benefited from. And they challenge me to see how those systems might have harmed other people who don't look like me or come from the same background as me. And that can feel hard at times, but there's nothing untrue about what they're saying. I, I have to come to grips with the fact that there are truths in what they are saying. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy though, to protect, you know, we want to protect the things that we value and care about. And so on that one side where it's like, especially if you've benefited from the system, man, it is, it is difficult to, to get you out of a, of a position where you benefit in order to sacrifice something. So that way maybe others can benefit. You know what I mean? Like being a a middle-class white, evangelical Christian male in the United States, healthy, you know, middle age is like, that that's the most privileged position I can be in. And so wouldn't it just be so easy to try and um, ignore the things that, that progress from where I'm at in order to help other people benefit? Yeah. Gosh, it, it would be so much easier to just try and hold on to that because it it doesn't benefit me. It literally does not benefit me to try and dismantle systems that I've benefited from. Absolutely. Especially like when you're someone like me who lives in a town where those systems are still like very much in place and like speaking out actually causes harm. Yes. So so that's it. But I want to, I want to give another example of some rightness or correctness, I guess you could say um, two things that I think we should acknowledge on both of these sides that are hard to come to grips with, but we have to acknowledge the fundamentalist side. They hold the authority of scripture above personal preference. Now they also don't acknowledge that they inject their preferences into some of these scriptures, but they at least don't try to minimize the authority that scripture holds in the Christian's life. That's a good thing. That's something that I think as Christ followers, we have to acknowledge that there is a book that we are supposed to follow. We can discuss and debate some of the things within that and the interpretations of it, but we can't minimize what the Bible means to us as Christ followers. Yeah. Is there, is there an external objective you know, whether you want to say objective or not, is there an external source of truth that is finite? Like, I think that that is, that is, hopefully people can agree with that. You know, how you interpret that external truth, what you see as objective and who gets the, who gets to do the interpreting, I think is, is what, what's usually debated, but it's like, are there universal truths that, that exist that we need to point out that are different than just our subjective reality? Yes, 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 yes. Let's, yes, that is, we can't lose that uh, going to the other side. So we have to admit that's a good thing on the fundamentalist side. On the progressive side, they strive to love like Jesus, making sure that everyone has a place at the table and is valued as a human first, regardless of race, gender, sexual preference, economic background, political ideology, whatever, that people are, made in the image of God and should be treated as equals because of that. That, in my opinion, is an incredible thing and something that we should be striving to do as not only human beings, but especially as Christians. Mm-hmm. That one's so so normal. You don't have anything to say to, say to right. it. Yeah, right. Like, it's just that should be, that should be something that people acknowledge. But the funny thing is, it does when you even say that and you say this should be something that everybody agrees to the issue is the fundamentalist side it is afraid of what those implications are 
Like I can't agree to that because if I agree to that, then there are implications inherent there that may, that I may not agree with. And it's like, you can't, you can't just say, Hey, everybody is valued as a human being first. Yep. Human being first, but we're all sinners. You know, it's like, okay, you don't have to inject that regardless of race, gender, sexual preference, or economic background. And it's like, you know, yeah, but except for, it's like, no, you don't, you don't, can we just agree that that is okay? Period. That person was made in the image of God. Yeah. That's where we have to start from. Like we need to at least start there. And, but you get the, yeah, but, and it's like, anytime you insert a but in your conversation that for, for all intents and purposes, it disregards everything that said that was said beforehand. Mm -hmm. So if the first step in living in the tension is by acknowledging that each of these two extremes have places that are true in them and in their ideology, the second place to dismantle or to live in this tension is to dismantle the vilification of the term woke. Yes. And th this is something that I think, in our culture today and in the culture war that we live in, this is something that we have to do mm. because we've reached a place in society where words don't mean anything anymore. Everything's woke. And we can simply fascist. change the meaning of something. Response. Everything. It's like, oh my gosh, all these words yeah. and terminologies, they don't mean anything anymore. Words have definitions. They mean something. We cannot change the meaning of something just because we don't like it. But over the last 10 to 15 years, there has been a planned, systematic redefining of the term woke by conservative political operatives, and that has spilled into the church to where now, if someone talks about something that you don't like, it is okay to criticize it as being woke. We are to the point where most people don't even know what that word means, where it comes from, or how to define it. I'm ready. I think this, I, I wish I could come up with something, but this seems like this needs a little bit of a, a theme song for it. You know, I'm thinking it's kind of maybe to the tune of Reading Rainbow, but it's like, this is Jonathan's dive into context and history. Take a look. It's in a book, Reading Rainbow, you know, like, I can't <laughs> learn anything. Context matters ways to know woke isn't what you think it is jonathan's context like something like that anyway go for it i just want to see lavar burton come on on screen for a second and then then you just go buckle up buckle up here we go we're gonna dive into this week's history lesson with me um <laughs> maybe maybe there might be uh you know a jerry falwell jr mention at some point who knows we'll see we'll see it could happen I don't know. I hope not. Okay. Maybe not. Go for it. So before I do dive into this, I want to give credit where it is due and acknowledge that I got these definitions and timelines from the legal defense fund. This is a legal organization that's fighting for racial justice and was founded um, by Thurgood Marshall, who later became a Supreme court justice. So this organization was founded back in 1940. They're also the group behind the Brown versus board of education uh, decision or case that overturned uh, the Jim Crow laws and separate but equal doctrine. So they are obviously biased, but they're legit. So just get that out of the way before we go anywhere. Okay, here we go. The term woke has its roots in the 1920s with a Jamaican philosopher named Marcus Garvey. And for some of you, that name might bring up some red flags and there are some red flags definitely around Marcus Garvey and his thoughts. But for today's discussion, let's put his political ideas to the side. I'm just because glad the you general didn't say idea. The, I'm glad you didn't say that the red flag is because he's Jamaican, you know, Oh, you're not from America. Well, I don't care. Then. <laughs> now he's got some thoughts that aren't the best. Yeah. Well, if but, you're going to say, Hey, the red flag is he's Jamaican. You're like, Oh yeah, well that's like French fries. You could take a French fries. I'm going to eat my freedom fries. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. Welcome to 2004. Um, but Gar the way Garvey initially used the word woke was that he, the general idea was he was calling black Americans and Jamaicans to wake up to the issues going on around them. 
This was in the twenties. I think it was fast forward a little bit and you've got in 1938, a blues musician musician by the name of lead belly recorded a song called Scottsboro boys. And in the song, when he was singing about the state of Alabama, he wrote, I advise everybody to be a little careful when they go down there, stay woke, keep your eyes open Mm. again, stay awake to what's going on around you. We fast forward another couple years and we go from Alabama up to West Virginia in 1940. Uh, and this time the black mine workers working in the coal mines of West Virginia, they found out that the white mine workers were being paid more than they were. And so they stood up to the system and the leader of the black mine workers union said, quote, we were asleep, but we will stay woke from now on, end quote. So at its core, the term woke simply means to awaken to the systems around you that are negatively affecting others, specifically black people in its history. So it's a phrase that was coined by black people in segregated areas where they were treated as second-class citizens by the white controlling class. Webster's Dictionary currently defines woke as aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. And if you go back, Eric, to how we define social justice earlier today, We define that as fighting for the equal distribution of wealth, opportunity, and privilege in our society. So someone who is woke would be aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues fighting for the equal distribution of wealth, opportunity, and privilege in our society. Hmm. Does that sound like what woke has been vilified to become? Uh, that certainly doesn't sound like a mind virus, uh, but I guess the other thing is like that could, you know, uh, if, if your mindset, again, this is going not to the benefit of the doubt side, this is going to the vilifying side. If your mindset is so anti or anti-progression or toxic towards opening your eyes to anything else new, then yes, that's what it means. It, it's like this. I don't know how many. People you know like this, um, you know, it's it's generally like older dudes uh, that were like, I don't, I'm like my grandpa was like this. I'm not going to go to the doctor. Why? Well, if I go to the doctor, they're going to find something wrong with me. It's like, no, there's something wrong with you anyway. Whether or not the doctor finds out, it's still going to kill you. You know, like that that sort of thing. Where it's like, well, I'm not going to open my eyes to to you know things that are that are going on around me because then I'll find all these problems. It's like, but they still exist whether or not you are going to wake up to it, it's still going on. And so it's that same mindset of like, I'm going to protect myself and insulate myself from these issues because I don't want to have to deal with it. It's icky. Yep. And as we look at the history, going back to about 2010 is when the phrase woke started becoming hijacked and transformed into the negative descriptor that it is today having to do with anything that has to deal with inclusivity and anti-discrimination. If like it is now, if you want to include people in the in group that were once in the out group Mm. that is now considered as woke. If you Google woke Christianity, here's you'll find articles from Ed Young, gotquestions.org answers in Genesis and for the gospel, all decrying the idea of wokeness and talking about how it's anti-gospel. But if you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you'll see examples of Jesus speaking against the power structures of the time in a way that showed that he was aware of and actively attended to the important societal facts and issues of the time and how people were being taken advantage of. And I wish we had time to get into the whole turn the other cheek and what that meant. Uh-huh. And how that's not just this like passive take it on the chin statement that Jesus said, but it's one that stands up to the authorities who are mistreating you and demands equality. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus did that in front of everyone. Paul said that there's no Jew nor Greek, which sounds like some just random thing. And it's funny that people will use that to say that race doesn't matter or that these systems don't actually impact people. 
But what Paul was saying at the time was a significant statement in light of the racial and the political systems at the time to say that we were equal, to say that the Greeks were equal to the Jews and they weren't this disgusting group of people. That was the, the epitome of speaking out against the system that's there. He would have been like, he would have been torn down by the conservative establishment of the time. If we had the Fox news and the Ron DeSantis of the world way back then. Yeah. I and mean, that's exactly it. It's like, who do you think, who do you think Jesus would be speaking out against? And that, that would be to me, like it, the way that he's talking is like, yeah, sure. There would, there would be some things that he would be speaking out against on the progressive side as well. I'm, I'm sure of it, but like, it would be the Ron DeSantis, like, don't, don't talk like that. It'd be the Ron DeSantis's. It'd be the Mark Driscoll's. It'd be all the, I'm like, cause Mark Driscoll, same thing. It's like all the things that I see from him on social media, all these little sound bites and stuff. He's, he's no longer making it about the gospel as much as it's about this, you know, this, this culture war problem. And that's, that's where I think you're, you got to draw that line. You got to be able to, to open up your eyes and, and stop there and go, okay, I don't, I don't need to see, or, you know, we don't need to go to that side because here's, here's what's happening is look, go ahead and look up. If you haven't done your research on logical fallacies, just Google logical fallacies or put it in YouTube and have somebody like the logical fallacy being employed all the time by this side is the slippery slope. It's like, well, if we allow this, it's going to lead to 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 this. It's like in some cases, yes, of course, but that is a logical fallacy to imply that your argument is right in step A because it could potentially lead to step C, D, E, or F. And so that's why we- Or X, Y, Z. Yeah, or even X, Y, Z. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, we can't, you know, we can't allow, uh, we can't allow, well, I'll go there. We can't allow a drag queen to do a, to to read to children because they might groom them. And it's like, wait, what? Oh, no. Uh, okay. Can we not make that? I, I think there are some steps in there where we could have guardrails where that, you know, where that's going to stop, where it's like, you don't have to immediately do that. Or, or, you know, Disney is this because of that. And you're going like, Whoa, okay. Let's, let's chill out here, you know? Or, and I have some friends who have experienced this personally, because that pastor walked in a BLM march mm. in the summer of 2020, they no longer believe the gospel and they're now woke and have gone off the deep end oh, because they were in favor of standing with a group of people who were feeling marginalized and hurt. And they wanted to show them that they value them as equals, as children of God, as made in the image of God. And they walked in a march with them. Mm. Yeah. I know people who negatively were impacted by doing that because white people in their church saw that and made a gigantic deal about it because of the culture war going on around us. Oh, so yeah. we have to dis we have to dismantle this idea that woke by nature is bad. Yes, there are elements that go too far in wokeness. But at its core, being woke is not the pejorative it is used as today. It simply means being awakened to the issues going on around us, especially from a racial perspective. People on both sides have taken that simple idea too far. But if we want to have a legitimate conversation about how the gospel impacts everything around us and our day-to-day -day living, we have to dismantle the idea that woke on its own by nature is bad. If we can't do that, we cannot live in this tension. And, and not only that, but the idea that like it's, it's that label, it's that labeling nature of this person did this. Therefore now they're that like it's jumping to conclusions and labeling them which seems like completely, if you want to go to biblical justice and you want to go to like gospel, like 
how many times did Jesus say, I know the label, uh, essentially, I know the label you've been given, but I don't see you as that label. How many times would the same person stand up that would say, oh, that, like, like you said, that pastor uh, attended a pride parade or that pastor attended a BLM march or that, that pastor said, uh, you know, that pastor gave a hug to a trans person. Therefore, they are woke and they oh, are Oh, no oh, 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 Jerry Fowler reference. I, I can get it in. I can get it in. Hang on. Here we go. Or that person attended a gay wedding. Ah, uh, yep. In, this is the Jerry Fowler reference. I'll get to say it really quickly. Yeah. In the political district around Lynchburg, the um, the representative of that area who was a Republican or is a Republican, he performed a gay wedding. Um, for a couple that he knew, the entire area blew up, um, primaried him with someone who is a much uh, worse candidate, a much further right candidate who worked at Liberty, yeah. who Jerry Falwell opposed. There's a whole mess of stuff here, but just because you challenged me to get Jerry Falwell in earlier, <laughs> I decided to to get that in. Um, think about how many times, whether it's whether it's Trump or anything else like that, where it's like this side would say. Well, they may be this, but at least they're not woke or at least they're not this, you know, because like how many times are like, like as a person who is politically or has been considered politically conservative in a lot of ways, it's like Trump is a Republican candidate. Well, yeah, he's going to make America great again. It's like he's not a he's not a he's not a conservative. Well, he may not be this or that, but at least he's going to keep the Mexicans out. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? You know, like, what, what are you talking about here? Like, and so there's this idea that we're we're going to we're going to get into bed with things that we're we're not agreeing with in the same way as we're going to label somebody wholeheartedly because now they they get this scarlet letter which is antithetical to Jesus's interactions with people in the gospel and it's like if you believe that you know essentially what Paul was telling the Pharisees right where he was talking about uh, uh you know some of you um you know you want to you want to tie that of your uh what's what's the line that Driscoll would always, always use you want to tie that of your spice rack you know what I mean? Or he's like, Hey, you know, for, uh, in the Bible, you see all this time, but like for some of you that are, um, uh, the circumcisers, it's like, I wish you would go all the way. It's like, Hey, if, if circumcision is such a big deal for you, why don't you just snip it all the way off? You know, it's like, that's the type of mentality that we have is like, you have to go all the way with this. If you're going to get into bed with thinking that a label on one side makes you a label all over, it's like, you cannot then preach that message on Sunday that says, the world sees you as a sinner, but Jesus sees you as a child of God. The world sees you as label, but Jesus sees you as different. You can't then turn around and say, you know, you may think that you're this, but you're woke. And therefore you're sinner, you're not saved or whatever. Like that, you, you cannot be intellectually honest and, and hold those two opinions. Yep. Again, a place we could stay on a soapbox for a while, but we have to get going. And I think this third point is important for us. Um, this third point is probably the hardest of the three that we're going to talk about today. And that's the, that we have to acknowledge our biases and understand that we're prone to go too far. As a person who grew up in a highly conservative Southern town, my County voted 78% conservative in the last election. I recognize that my natural bias is to underestimate the racial insensitivity around me. My town was 92% white growing up. It still is to this day. It's a very rural town. Um, I'm not exposed to the impacts of some of the systems that have been designed to negatively impact minorities in this country. We don't have minorities here. It's just a bunch of white people. So like, that's my natural experience. So when people start throwing around accusations or making claims about racism or systematic injustices, it's easy and natural for me to put my fists up and fight against that. That's my natural bias because it's my lived experience. That said, because that's my background and because it's what I grew up in and have since left ideologically, ideologically, I have become quote unquote woke by our last definition. It is now incredibly easy for me to swing to the other side 
and go way too far. Mm. And this is the soapbox that I've known I was probably going to get on all day, but I'm going to get on it a little bit here. We're recording this in the midst of the whole drama around Jason Aldean's do that in a small town video. Yep. I live in a sundown town. There were signs on the welcome to King sign into the sixties and seventies that said N word better not get caught here after dark. Mm. So those words mean a little different to me living in this area. But I can't tell you the amount of things I've seen on social media defending the video and the lyrics because that's the natural bent of people based off their experiences. But because I have been awakened to the reality of the other side of that coin, there have been times I've wanted to fight back and just digitally scream at people to stop being so effing racist and so insensitive. I have to acknowledge that because I have left that, my natural bent is to fight against that completely. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be taken too far because I now see the wrongness in that and want to justify it. And there's a piece of me that wants to make up for all the time that I believed that and that I lived inside of that. So we have to acknowledge that our current biases and the things that we have learned can make us prone to go too far in one direction of the other. Uh, I, I came across something the other day that may, that may be relevant here. So I'm going to read it. It's, this is from Brene Brown's book, uh, Rising Strong. If you haven't read it, everybody should read it, I think but she has a definition defining compassion, empathy, and sympathy. And I think that in this conversation, especially when it becomes, when we're talking about being awakened to the injustices of things that are going wrong around us, it's, I think it comes down to a lack of compassion. Um, and that would, that's going to be bristling for some people. But after I read this, I went, okay, I see it. Uh, and it's a little long, so bear with me. This is her definitions of these three. Compassion is recognizing the light and dark in our shared humanity. We commit to practicing loving kindness with ourselves and others in the face of suffering. Empathy is the most powerful tool of compassion. Empathy is an emotional skill that allows us to respond to others in a meaningful, caring way. Empathy is the ability to understand what somebody's experiencing and to reflect back that understanding. It's important to note here that empathy is not understanding, uh, empathy is understanding what someone is feeling, not feeling it for them. And so that's where, as a side note, I think that's where some people are taking it too far is they want to feel that injustice for them instead of just understanding where they're coming from. Okay, great. If someone is feeling lonely, empathy doesn't require us to feel lonely too, only to reach back in our own experience with loneliness so we can understand and connect. We can fake empathy, but when we do, it's not healing or connecting. The prerequisite for real empathy is compassion. We only respond uh, empathetically if we are willing to be present to someone's pain. Empathy is the antidote to shame and is the heart of connection. So all this for empathy is exactly what we're talking about with that, with that small town song. How many people are saying, well, that's not my experience. Well, that's not how it was for me in my small town. Oh, well, that's not how I mean it. What you're doing there is you are lacking the ability to empathize with people or have compassion for people that may be negatively impacted by. And she goes on here for sympathy. And hey, let, let me interrupt real quick, yeah, real quick. And because of that, we have to acknowledge our bias is to our experience. Mm -hmm. We are going to naturally take our experience as the one that we react to react from yep. and cling to the most. Yep. So we have to acknowledge that now go ahead. But yeah, if you're not willing to, like it says to reach back into times where you felt the same way. So like, when you're thinking about this, this small town issue, you know, it's like, have you ever felt like the outsider? Have you ever felt unsafe somewhere? Have you ever felt that some, you know, that this place was not designed for you and is hostile to you. And when people start talking that way, they're, they're giving a wink and a nudge to something that's not inherently safe for you. 
And then what happens is, I think we have a lot of people that are reacting with sympathy by Brene Brown's definition. Sympathy, rather than being a tool for connection, sympathy emerged in the data as a form of disconnection. Sympathy is removed. When someone says, I feel sorry for you, or that must be terrible, they're standing at a safe distance rather than conveying the powerful me too of empathy. It communicates, not me, and then adds, but I do feel for you. Sympathy is more likely to be a shame trigger than something that heals shame. And so I think that that's where we have a lot of people standing out here and going like, yes, of course, you know, oh, I want to love like Jesus, but, and they're like standing at a safe distance, pushing the issue back. Because if they actually have to step into it and admit like, hey, you know, maybe some of the small town mentality, as much as I valued it growing up, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like for you, like as much as you valued that growing up, you now see that other people might be hurt by that same mentality and to try and live in that tension in that cognitive dissonance over something that was good and valuable to me might be painful for someone else and acknowledging that both can exist in the same realm and both be right. Yes. That small, I can town be proud of my small town background. Yeah. I can love knowing all my neighbors and being able to go into the local diner and I walk in and they know what I want before I even sit down. Yep. Like, I, the other day I went to eat breakfast and I went by myself and I sat in a booth, I was eating. And while I was there, um, some people I knew came into another booth across the restaurant. They asked me a question and, uh, we got to talking and instead of having to talk across the table to their booth, I just got up and moved to the table next to them. Yep. And my waitress walked by and she's like, I thought you dined in dash. Uh, I was like, these people have known me my entire life. I can't dine and dash here. Yeah. Like I love the fact that I live around that. Yep. And so I acknowledge that my bias is going to be to protect that. But I also have to understand I can go too far in protecting that so that I don't even acknowledge that something else may exist mm -hmm. at the same time. Because I, I have now learned something else exists, I can swing all the way to the other side and say anything talking about my pride in a small sundown town that I grew up in, yep. that now that is inherently racist because it's not. Right. I can be proud to be from here. I can like where I live while still acknowledging that there are major issues around me. Yep. And I think well, if we want to live in this tension between like, fundamentalists who de degrade anything that is inclusive and being a progressive who wants to tear down the entire system and not actually live the way Jesus told us to live fully. We have to acknowledge these things if we want to live in that tension or it's going to be impossible. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think it's, it's perfectly okay to admit, you know, if you look at the lyrics, to that song, not that this whole conversation about the song, but it, I think it, it's a good, it, um, it, it's the most recent battle in this culture war that, that makes sense here is when you read a, a lyric that says full of, uh, try that in a small town, full of good old boys raised up right. To you, good old boy raised up right is like, okay, he's the person that's yes, ma'am, no ma'am is going to walk on the curbside of this, you know, of the, of the sidewalk or with his, with his girl is looking out, you know, like is going to protect. Uh -huh. Going to take care of their neighbor, take care going of their neighbor. to yeah, like, all, do all what is that. needed to, yep. yes. All of that. To someone who reads this as, try that in a sundown town, good old boys raised up right are in the lifted uh, Chevy pickup truck with the Confederate flag and the, you know, and the tobacco stains all down the thing that they're the ones chasing down Ahmad Arbery and shooting him in cold blood in the streets that's a good old boy raised up right to a different group of people. And it's like that lyric means something different. When you say, uh, you, you know, when you say uh, around here, we take care of our own for, for you, you know, and again, and I, I identify this too, but like the people that are reading this are going, 
oh, we take care of our own. That means like you need a cup of sugar, you need something, this, you need, you know, think about all that, like, you know, 1950s neighborly thing. We're going to take care of you. You know, everything's going to be okay. And we're going to look out for each other. And, and when you're out of town, I'm going to look out and you don't somebody, have to lock your doors. Yeah, you don't have to look, lock your doors. Cause things. somebody pulls it down the street, you know, I'm taking a lookout for it and I want to make sure everything's okay. You're good. But it was like, when we take care of our own, if you read that as try that in the sundown town, we take care of our own means white people going to take care of white people means men are going to take care of men and oppress women. It means, it means the, the Christian leaders are going to take care of the lead pastor or the abuser and, and shame victims. Those two lyrics, the lyric in and of itself may not be the bad part, but I, but I think having empathy means that you have compassion for people um, who have been hurt uh, or have a different experience than you do. And if you want to sit in sympathy and say, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I, I mean, I'm guilty of this. My apologies used to be, oh, I'm sorry that that hurt your feelings. That's a bullshit apology. That is a bullshit apology because that does not acknowledge any wrongdoing. It does not acknowledge that they're actually hurting. It's saying, I'm sorry, there's something wrong with you that you read it that way. Instead of going, oh man, I'm sorry that you had that experience. I also know what it feels like to be like that. And I want to have compassion towards you. How can we help? I know that when I felt like that, I wanted somebody to step in and help me. So I want to step in and help you. And if that's a woke mind virus, then I got it. Sorry. Living in the tension of the gospel requires us to check ourselves constantly. I want us to be awakened to the systemic issues around us. I want us to be the physical manifestation of God's righteousness and mercy and justice by fighting for equality and making sure everyone is treated equally. I want us to play a part in the work of Jesus who is reconciling everything on this planet back to God himself, and that includes breaking down power structures that marginalize other people. But I want us to do it because Jesus tells us to, not because our culture has told us to. I want us to do it with Jesus and the gospel at the center of it and not some secularized or naturalistic reason. I want us to acknowledge our own sin and recognize that this work will never be complete because we live in a cursed world that will always be broken. But none of that can happen if we don't acknowledge that both of these extremes have some items in them that are true and they make us uncomfortable. It cannot happen unless if we continue to vilify the term woke and call names to anyone who may be awakened to the systemic issues around us. And it can't happen if we don't acknowledge our biases and understand that we're prone to go too far. That's not fair. That's not honest. This is truly a tension. The reason we changed the name of this podcast to tension is because if we want to honestly follow Jesus, there is a tension around all of this. And as we live in this culture war, we're going to continue to be pulled side to side by people who want us to join their campfire. And we cannot join either one of them because we do not belong to either one of them. Jesus is not found in either one of them. He is found in the tension between the two. Yep. Amen. Amen. And amen. And as we close, sorry. <laughs> and as we close, we want to ask you to remember to subscribe, rate Oof. and review the show, uh, share it with a friend. If it has made an impact on you, or if you think that it will help them as a reminder, we are uh, doing a mailbag Q and a on, October the 23rd, please get your questions in for that by Thursday, October 19th. You can send them in to us on social. Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on them as well. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, another piece of this culture war and looking at who the church's real enemy is inside this culture war. The right likes to tell us that our culture hates the church and is actively attacking it. 
but we think the real enemy of the church today might be something else. And we're going to tease it right there and leave you until next week to find out what that is. But thanks for listening today. Thanks for making us a part of your week. And we will see you next Monday. Have a great week.